This is the Transformation Church Weekly Follow-Up Podcast. I am Justin Oswald. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Justin Oswald underscore. Proceed with caution. With me is Brad Livingston. What up, guys? It's uh, good to be back. Uh, super excited about today. Yeah. And uh, uh, and today... Got a is, special guest. It's a special day because we have the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, we have Pastor Dan Livingston Bishop. In the house on the podcast, Bishop, oh, Bishop, yeah. Apo- Bishop, Apostle, <laughs> Prophet. Right. Let's take up an offering right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, you could text your donations to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're honored to have uh, Pastor Dan, our founding <clears throat> pastor, with us today as we talk about. Uh, man, this past Sunday was good. Yeah, it uh, was good. I, I, Excellent. It was th- this kind of. If you know me at all, you know I get real excited about these kind of messages. And um, man, it was really quiet through some of the <laughs> through through <laughs> some of it. Um, but man, it was good. We were we were continuing in the real talk series, and we were uh, the 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 title of the message was "Justice is Greater Than Silence." Right. Um, talk about that a little bit of what brought us there. Uh, you know, man, we as a as a church that values diversity. Um, it's a church that values. Uh, you know, we we definitely have a multicultural. Uh, feel to our church and and uh, we have so many nationalities represented and honestly uh, you know this is not something new you know pastor you you kind of built this into the culture uh, a long time ago you know so since since the inception of your ministry even taking it back to the Bronx you know talk mm-hmm. to talk to us about the Bronx for a second that's what people want to hear oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow no I mean you know I was the minority I I, I knew what it was like to be on the other side uh, when Kathy and I were married uh, Went on a week's honeymoon, and three weeks later, we packed a U-Haul, moved to the South Bronx. Uh, she just turned 20, and I was 21, and newlyweds. And so we went into an amazing church called Love Gospel Assembly, and uh, there I uh, took over the evangelism outreach, became pastor evangelism there. And uh, it was uh, predominantly a black and Hispanic congregation, and we were kind of the minority white couple sitting in there every Sunday. Yeah, so uh, so Pastor, tell me, so, you know, I, I've heard all these stories growing up. I mean, most of our listeners haven't, and uh, I know Justin uh, hasn't. Uh, you know, one story that might stand out to you uh, in reference to just when, you know when you guys, as a melting pot, you know, it was Love Gospel right. when, when Love Gospel as a melting pot. Uh, maybe one story that kind of stands out to you about um, dealing with diversity, racial diversity. Well, is there a story that kind of stands out? Wow, I, I know uh, one that's in my mind. I don't know if that's one. Oh, you you start it and then I'll finish it. Uh, well, so. you, you told me you told us about the time. You know, you lived in a predominantly Irish apartment yes. complex, right? In the neighborhood, and the neighborhood was yeah. was mostly Irish, right? Because um, that was the only way you were going to make it through being in the Bronx in the in the seventies. <laughs> well, and 80s. we took over an apartment that the former pastor of evangelism uh, had, and they he moved. They moved, and so they. We took over their apartment. It happened to be there, and so they weren't. The, so the Irish community was not happy about <clears throat> your friends from Love Gospel coming to your apartment. Right. Is that right? So tell yeah, because we story. had a lot of blacks coming over and Hispanics coming over, and somehow the word got out to jump us. I think that's the story you're talking about. Yeah, and that's so, um, Kathy and I pulled up after church one Sunday, and all of a sudden, this group of guys surrounds my car. And uh, they had like sticks and stuff, clubs, you know, and I'm going, oh, boy, here we go. Because we'd had comments made and remarks made to us, you know, about, you know, the N-word and stuff thrown at us, you know, the N-lover. And 
things like that. And we just shunned it off. You know, it's New York, it's the Bronx, you do what you got to do, you know. And then all of a sudden our car surrounded on a Sunday and we're like, this is not good. And uh, out of nowhere, we don't know how the word got out. We still don't know how the word got out. Out of nowhere, cars started coming in from every direction. And it was men from the church, uh, black, Hispanic, everybody came in and surrounded that group of guys. And they had bigger (laughs) clubs and bats and everything else. And it kind of got rid of the mob there for a while. And so uh, we we had a quick introduction to uh, Welcome to the Bronx, you know. So the Uh, the Irish weren't a fan of the evangelism happening in the the area. Yeah, they they weren't happy about that fifth floor outreach in that apartment complex. (laughs) They were probably predominantly Catholic, I'm assuming. I I really, I would say so, yes. The the uh, fighting Irish, huh? Yeah. Yeah. uh, Interesting. No, it was, uh, you know, almost four years of uh, some of the best uh, feet on the ground, hands on the, you know, ground uh, training that we could ever get for ministry and prepped. And just got back from the Bronx, you know, preaching up there at our New York campus with Pastor Sam Colon. Yeah, sh- shout out to Pastor Sam, Circle yeah. Christ Church in the Bronx. You guys are awesome. Yeah, they're rock stars up there. And I mean, doing amazing work up there in, in the Bronx. And uh, we have many friends that are lifetime friends with us now uh, in the Bronx. So yeah. uh, a lot of memories, a lot of history. And uh, we are who we are today. And, the, and uh, Transformation Church is yeah. who it is today uh, because of that, that we... We learn to understand. I could never say I know what it's like to be a minority, a true minority, and and what you know minorities have gone through. But I do know what it's like to be in a culture where you're not the majority, and hear the comments made. You know, I mean, we we heard negative comments. You know, the white guys here to take over. Sorry, there's only one of me. You know, <laughs> we're not taking over. But but we understood we we understood that. So it gave us some insight. But <clears throat> I can honestly say, I've never made. Uh, I'm going to use the word building a multicultural church, uh, really a thought. It's just kind of happened. Mm-hmm. It's nothing. I mean, you've been with me obviously all your life. Yeah. We've never sat in a meeting and said, how do we make our church more multicultural? Yeah. Right. We've never done that. Right. You know? Well, and it's just the way we lived our life, you know, and you think you raised, you raised me and, and Natalie that way, certainly through our younger years. And then we had adopt a Vietnamese, you know, a Vietnamese brother and sister, Tommy and Cindy, you know what I mean? And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was just kind of the way we lived life. Well, and, and surely, you know, we've been using the kind of this phrase internally, at least me and you do, Brad, as, as you know, you attract what you are. Right. And I think, I think in a lot of churches, most churches, that's probably the case, you know, you, you attract the, the congregation, the people, I, I don't want to use the word audience, but uh, that that you are. That's why we we see young people in our church because you're young, you know. And sure. but that doesn't. I, I don't think that all that means that you have to be a minority to attract minorities. It's just that's who you guys are, and that's what you attracted was just just anybody and everybody, sure. you know, regardless yeah. of the race. Yeah, well, those, the con- the conflict there is like when I was in Bible college, we were taught you build a homogeneous church. That if you're white, you build a white church. If you're black, you build a black church, and your church is going to look like you. And that's not biblically true. Right. And so we're educating our future ministers to to be racist, to, you know, not experience and appreciate diversion, uh, a diversity, I'll say. So, um, you know, for me, I grew up in a home where, you know, we were taught to love everyone, treat everyone equally. And then obviously as a, a 21-year-old going to the South Bronx, it really opened my eyes up um, to some of the struggles and then it also let us appreciate 
uh, the relationship that we had with some amazing friends that were of different color and culture than we were. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I think that uh, you know, I I grew up hearing a lot of I grew up hearing a lot of stories about the Bronx and and uh, you know even ministry and even you know pastor he would uh, and oftentimes would reference stories and analogies and and in my discipling process and also in my ministry training process you know, using, um, the Bronx and pastor Jerry and, and, uh, a lot of people and a lot of situations from the Bronx as a way for ministry training. So I, for me, you know, it was one of those things. And then as we just lived life as, as we worked life out, cause then we leave the Bronx a uh, short time later, <laughs> pastor plants a church in Cincinnati, Ohio and over the Rhine, which is, you know, is uh that's inner city, man. Roughest like, area of Cincinnati. Like it's there, you know, they don't deliver pizzas over the Rhine. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's one of those things where, you know, once again, uh, so, and that was the beginning. So that was from, you know, about two and a half to about six and a half years old. You know, we're in the hood of Cincinnati, uh, you know, uh, church next to a liquor store. You know what I mean? Like it, it now the liquor store was in our foyer. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was, it was a very church, interesting yeah. environment. You don't want to hold a most excellent way meeting right. in the same in that next, next right. room. Right. But let, let me say, here's the mindset though of, of religion. Cause when we were in the Bronx, the largest X-rated theater in the Bronx was built right onto our wall and all the pictures out front and everything. This is New York city. So uh, all the pictures, nudity and all is right there. And, uh, and of course, people criticize this. You know, you've got to go buy an X-rated theater to get into the church, and 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 then uh, when we were in Cincinnati, the liquor store, you you literally it was in right in our foyer, practically. You <laughs> yeah. know, one of the doors was in the was yeah. You to could the go foyer. in it through our foyer. Oh wow! And, uh, and it was so, an old it was an old movie theater. So yeah, was, we took an old yeah. theater, and so the. Uh, we had people go, well, I can't come to your church because you got got to go by a liquor store. And I said, you think opposite than what we do and how Christ thinks because in New York, we didn't go past the theater to get to church. They had to go past the church to get in the theater. Mm-hmm. And in the liquor store, we didn't go past the liquor store to get in the church. They had to come in the church to get to the I, my, my idea was it saves me a whole lot of walking because, <laughs> you know, they're yeah. coming right to my front door. Come on, yeah. you know. And where would Jesus want it to be? Right. You know, and so, um, and and now the theater's gone and the church took over a lot of that property. And in Cincinnati, uh, the church now owns a whole block. Nice. You know, and is and is housing for homeless and, and programs. And so uh, it's, a, it's a crazy mindset that the religious people have. We're so concerned about the world contaminating, contaminating us that we've lost our desire and ability to impact it. Right. Yeah, that's right, good. Right. So going back to your question, Justin, th- that that's why it's important. You know, the, even my mindset coming into this, you know, um, we've been getting feedback already about the message on Sunday and, and you know, for the majority of it being very, very positive. And, and the ones that have come with questions weren't questioning. Um, they weren't saying that what we were talking about Sunday wasn't important it was raising the question that I wanted the sermon Sunday to raise, which is tell me more about this because I don't get it. And that's okay. Like it's okay for the majority or for people within certain contexts to hear a message like we preach on Sunday and not understand why it's important. That's okay. Asking the question to learn why it's important is the whole, that was the, you know, a big part of the, of the goal for Sunday um, and also pointing to a number of things, which we'll get into here in just a second. So the, it, my mindset going into Sunday, honestly, was, um, you know, we don't we don't again, we don't sit around the kitchen table growing up and 
and myself and my wife don't do that now on, uh, you know, we really need to include more black people in our life or Hispanics in our life, you know, and I don't think that that happens on other races. I don't think there's African-Americans that are going, we really need more Caucasian. Mm -hmm. Like that doesn't like, that's not the, either you live life together or you don't. Um, and we do. And since we do our, our church does. And since our church does, it's important that we talk about it. I had one guy come up to me after the nine o'clock service before the 11 o'clock service. And he just walked up to me. He'd been with us a long time and he came up to me, shook my hand, African-American gentleman, uh, very professional guy, shook my hand and he said, thank you. Um, and I said, absolutely. You know, and we both knew that we were talking about the sermon, you know, he's just saying, thank you. And, uh, I said, you got it. And he said, it's a fight. And I said, but it's worth fighting for. And he said, absolutely. And we, you know, both went our separate ways. And and so that's why that's, you know, uh, it's it's important. What's crazy is how, uh, how it's viewed so differently. Right. You know, and, and that's, in and of itself, almost a, a part of the problem, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we, we addressed that in the, in the Charlottesville video that we put out, you know, just, you know, you mentioned those in the majority are, don't understand why everyone in the minority is getting so upset because we thought these issues were put to bed years ago. Right. You know, we thought they were done. And I have friends, I, I, I have friends that, you know, when we have these discussions that he literally believes racism doesn't exist anymore yeah. and that, that if you use that, you're just, it's, it's a crutch and, and it's, right. you know, if, and that being said, cause he used things like Obama, you know, Obama was president. If one can do it, anybody can do it. The racism doesn't exist anymore. And, uh, I don't agree with that. Of um, course. I do think that if one can do something, it does, it, it's possible, you know, if, uh, the, the, whether you, you come from a, you know, a, don't have a dad, no matter what race you are, it's not a crutch your whole life necessarily, but there's issues with that, you know? Sure. Um, I just think when you have the guy come up and just say that, thank you, you know, that, that it's worth fighting for. And you have the discussion that there was probably people who walked out of the the room that the whole time were like, I didn't even know this was an issue. Yeah. We, we had yeah. one, we had one dude in the room, uh, Sunday cause he came up to me, you know, um, he came up to me Sunday and just, He's always real serious, cat. You know, he's he's never negative. He's just you, you don't see him a lot of expression on his face. Uh, he happens to be Hispanic. Came up to me and uh, he he just mentioned like, man, there was tears in my eyes like the whole time um, because I've we just don't hear churches talking about this. And um, there are other churches. I we're not the only church having this conversation, but unfortunately, it's not nearly as much as it should be. There should be far more people having this conversation. So I know at our men talk last night small group you know we had about 15 guys there and uh we sat down to go into our regular routine you know our dialogue that we normally have and before i could get started one of them said let's talk about sunday's message (laughs) and so that was our first 15 minutes and it was extremely positive he said it was a classic it was a white guy he said it was a classic he said uh one of the best i've heard from this pulpit and uh and then it opened the conversation and uh, what amazed me was one of our black men spoke up, <clears throat> and he said, I learned so much Sunday. Hmm. And I'm thinking, is the white guy's going to say that, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And it was one of our black men has been with us for a long time. He said, I learned so much Sunday. And he said, but what I really love was my young men. He has two young boys, not young, they're in their older teens. He said, uh, the lesson they learned from that was to not oh, wait. That's Don't good. wait until somebody comes to you 
you go ahead and go out and help answer the questions and right you know and, be an advocate and, yeah and ask the questions and so sure uh you know i i was really thrilled to see the balance of of the black and the white and we and obviously we had other nationalities there also sure. but uh the feedback was 100 percent. it's a message that needs to be said and we commend you as a pastor of TC for having the courage to get up and say it. Well, you know, you know? it's not, it's not, you know, thank you, but it's not the first message we preached from TC about this. And no. you've, you set the stage many, many years ago for what, what we have as a house today. And there's honor in that. So we appreciate you and what you've built because we're standing on your shoulders at this point. Yeah. Um, and, and what was cool is, you know, last week we, um, when me and you were in Birmingham at the art conference, mm-hmm. um, as we kind of get into some of the, the, the points, but um, you had mentioned, you know, the Pastor Miles McPherson, who we referenced last week Ooh, in the podcast, because Miles. because you know, obviously, you know, you had an idea of where you were going with this series and this message, and then we happened to be at this conference, and you know, Miles McPherson just dropped serious um, truth bombs, man. Truth in that, as and you mentioned one of them in the in the point. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because I don't remember which point it was in, but just the whole like. We have to stop saying things like, you know, I don't, I'm colorblind, you know, yeah. I don't see color. And the funny, yeah, yeah. the funny thing is that what he said that you didn't say Sunday, what Miles McPherson said is if you don't see color, then how did you know to say that to me? Right. You know, and that's, that's kind of the, how he as a black guy feels when someone's, I don't see colors. Like, well, how did you know to say that to me? Right. You don't say that to your, surely you don't say that to your white buddies, <laughs> you, you know? <laughs> right. So if you don't see color, then how did you know to say that to me? And man, when you think about it from that angle, it's right. like he's right. It's like, and it, it, what he was saying was it's okay to see color. Like it's okay yeah. to see someone. Be as, color as appreciative, not colorblind. Right. Yeah, right. 100%. And that was just, it was just good stuff. So let's move into the, to the. Yeah. One thing I wanted to point out too, you know, cause we did have someone ask, you know, is uh, also being aware. We used a lot of phrases Sunday that if you, that were very, very important because we, we, we also use phrase like classism um, and yeah. generational bias. And those things are huge, too, because, you know, one of the things that I think is important that we and I don't want to take a ton more time on this, but I think it's important that we talk about is is man and currently in our country, you know, certain not saying that racism doesn't exist because we know that it does. But what I what I think is also important that we understand is that classism is a big deal too, man. Oh, we've, yeah. we've got, you know, you've got, you know, white, whatever, Caucasian, white. We've got white people living um, in trailers on plots that have no money and um, men. And, and they are being set aside the same way that African-Americans were all through the, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s. They're, they're being set aside. They're being looked down on. They're being unjustly lumped into a category, not not so much because of the color of their skin, but because of their class. Um, and that's a big deal, too, because we have, you know, I know, Pastor, I know you grow up not in a wealthy scenario and, and dealing with classism. And I know you've dealt with college and I think even getting into next week because we're going to have more of this conversation. I'd love to hear even some of what you've taught me about, you know, when you were in college and stuff. But, I mean, going back to all those things, we we, we dealt with racism but we also dealt with the inju- talked about the injustice of classism and generational bias, which is huge because mm-hmm. I don't want that to go under the radar. This was not a black and white sermon. Right. This was a justice <clears throat> sermon. And where, where there is injustice, we have to bring justice. We have to speak up and we have to put hands to the plow on seeing that changed, whether that's race, whether that's class, whether that's generational bias, whatever it is. Um, we have to speak up on behalf of that. So well, I, I was glad you used the word and it came up in a small group last night. Uh, where you really didn't hit 
with the terms of race as much as people groups. Yeah. Yeah. You know, really kind of what you're saying there in a different word, but mm-hmm. you really broke it down into people groups and that's people groups are determined by people's opinion of them, not really who they are. Right. But it's again, how people classify you and they put you in these groups. And, and so that's really it, your race, your color, that's not the only issue. I mean, we deal with, you know, we're huge supporters of Israel. Why? Right. There's injustice there. Right. Right. You know, so we support Israel. There, There's one of the things that came up that I thought was good and it'll probably lead us right into the message. Um, but one of our men said that, you know, cause he has biracial grandchildren and uh, he said, I don't see, I don't feel that racism is as strong today as it was when I was growing up. And, and I s- jumped in on that and I go, I agree with you to that point that, when we grew up to see a biracial couple was like, yeah, that's not going to happen, you know, or to see biracial grandchildren, things to be accepted. I mean, how many biracial couples do we have in our church? Right. A right. huge amount, you sure. know, and they come here because they say they feel comfortable. Sure. But um, so I do believe that there is, I'm going to say less racism. And I used it this way. I said, personally, I, yeah, I was going to say, I, I like the phrase face to face racism. Yeah. Right, that's exactly. what I say. Personally, I feel like, yes, I feel like we have conquered and made much ground. I said, but institutionalized systematic systematic. Sure. You got it. It's, it's still a very serious issue. And, and I pointed at one of our black brothers and I said, um, one third of his brothers are going to go to prison one out of three. And I said, if he and I commit the same crime, he's going to spend seven times more jail time than I am simply Correct. because he's a black man. I said, that's racism. Correct. That's, you know, that's, that's systemic. Huge. Yeah. Yes. That's huge. Well, let's, let's do it, Justin. What do we got? Yeah. So one of the, uh, to, to preface some of this, one of the words you use in here with these points is brother. Yep. Right. And it's important. And you, you mentioned it in the message that, uh, to, to understand that, that we are called to love our brother Correct. and or sister. Um, but, it's easy to not have to love someone if you don't see them as your brother. Right. And, and you would kind of mention that and, and want to just preface what we're getting into because each of the points has to do with my brother. Correct. And, and uh, even that comes from my, Pastor Miles. Pastor Miles, yeah. He said that, you know, and I thought that was just huge. He said, when you refuse to call someone your brother or your sister, you automatically you automatically give you yourself permission not to love them. I just thought that was huge. I was like, golly, that's so true. You know, um, that we have to recognize as we get into this, man, that uh, they like they are brothers and sisters. Like if we treat, if we love them that way, right? Which gets us later on into the notes of of where this whole thing is going. But well, we have to love them. Yeah, and you were talking about how we're all made in God's image, correct? Which, and that and that's how you know. Yeah. So um, point, point one, point one, yeah, right. So the, <laughs> so the whole idea of justice being greater than silence is is unity in the in the areas of of, of focus for unity. Right. And the first point was is the image of my brother, the image of my brother, and so. Um, you know, and like you said, the just to you know put this out there, these aren't the only these aren't the only important areas for unity, but these are the four that we chose, right? So, um, the image of my brother, and and recognizing that when God created man, He created man in His image, and, and He actually says our image because we have reference to the Trinity even there, and we don't have to get in all that. But um, so so God is making a man in His image. Uh, mankind, which is all mankind, which is cross-platform, cross-class, cross-generational bias, and cross-race and ethnicity. And so we see, as we cross all those boundaries, that God's image is uniquely and distinctly printed 
on every single man and woman that walk on this earth. Um, and so, uh, as we got into the message, the first thing we need to recognize is where everyone's value comes from. Like why, mm-hmm. why, you know, the person that stands in front of me, no matter what color they are, what race they are, what ethnicity, uh, what their financial situation is, none of those things matter more than who they are, uh, because of the imprint that God has left on them. They are made in the image of the God that we serve. How could we not love them if they're made in his image? Right. That's good. So, um, and we, you know, we, we even said acknowledging the image of God in someone acknowledges the value of God in them. Right. And I just think that that is, uh, I think that is so huge. So, um, we'd used a quote from pastor miles, uh, in there. And he said, the image of God has the ability and responsibility to acknowledge itself in other people. Mm-hmm. In other words, I, I carrying the image of God, that image of God in me has generates the ability and the responsibility to identify the image of God in someone else. Um, and if we refuse to identify the image of God in someone else, we in turn are not walking with the responsibility of the image of God that rests in us. And that's huge. That's good. So, um, and then we went to number two, uh, the keeper of my brother. No, that's three. Number oh two. my gosh. Yeah. Sorry. It's all good. Number two, the love. Everyone disregard what you just heard. <laughs> the love the of love my of my brother. I right. got ahead of myself on the notes. The love of my brother. For me to genuinely celebrate my brother requires me to genuinely love my brother. Sympathy does not require love, but empathy does. Man, so empathy. Empathy. I've been thinking a lot about empathy lately. I think we've had some discussions because yeah. I've been on this um this kick for six months or to a year or so of really trying to study um, emotional intelligence, you okay. know, and, and empathy is a big part of that is like putting yourself in someone else's shoes, seeing things from their, 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 you know, perspective and all that. And I just, it's, I'm not a sympathetic person. I never have been, mm-hmm. but I'm trying to build, build better empathy within me. I think as a leader, um, number one and, and, as a, as a pastor, you know, sure. having that empathy, man, it changes things. It's like, and, and like, I don't have to going back to the things with Charlottesville and some of our friends and stuff that are in ministry that are black. And, you know, I sat down with one cause I was kind of confused too. Like on some of it, I was like, I don't understand the uproar right. as big as it I explain it. But you know, it's like when I don't necessarily have to, I don't even have to agree with it. I don't have to right. agree with why you're so mad, but you're hurting. So I'm hurting type type thing and that's sure empathy man is i think is is huge right and and even going back to a pastor what you were talking about earlier um you know having lived in the bronx during that time frame when uh, and being a part of a church that is vastly uh majority hispanic and black and here you come with uh you and mom mom's a blonde hair blue eyed <laughs> southern bell rolling up in the bronx at 20 and 21 years old um i think you learned a lot about empathy in that era yeah absolutely um and i think that's one of the biggest um hurdles you know that we have to jump when it comes to justice and injustice you know is that i mean i know i should we talked about it again at the men's meeting last night but you know, it was it really that became really alive to me when the uh, Baton Rouge shooting took place with out in, out in Sterling. Correct. And some of our men were on social media, who you know are major workout freaks, 
and you know their arms are bigger than my thighs <laughs> yeah <clears throat> and they're on facebook going i'm afraid to drive home because i don't know if i'll make it home safe tonight to see my wife or not and i had to listen to that right. i mean i had to really stop and go you know this is not some little wimp over here that's trying to get some attention this guy's genuinely afraid he could probably whip five guys at one time with his right. hands right and he's afraid to drive home because of a society that has grown evil and right. wicked and he's afraid in it, you know? And, uh, I had to stop and really go, okay, I, I, I've got to not just go, I'm sorry. I've got to go, you know, I want to feel that with you. Right. You know, I want to walk that out with you. Which, yeah. And that led to one of the sermons that you preached. Right. Uh, that was a couple uh, two years ago, I guess now. Yeah. Um, and, and connected with a ton of people in our church. I mean, the Williams family being one of them that was just like, you know, I, I'm curious to see how pastor is going to handle this because um, his voice is going to mean something to how I respond to him as my pastor. Does 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 he shy away from injustice because it's uncomfortable or does he take it head on? And, and you did. And it's been I think that has kind of set the stage over the last 24 months um, to us reaching out into that and particularly into the minority people group because of your empathy and being empathetic towards it. Well, I, you know, we, we hear all these, uh, and I'm reading them on social media, you know, where blacks are now leaving the diverse churches and we're growing more probably in blacks right now than we are any other culture or very close black and black and Hispanic for sure. You know? So it's kind of the opposite of what they're saying the norm is in society. Right. But that's the power of the gospel Mm -hmm. and, and it's the power of being true image bearers of Christ. You know, John one fourteen it said he was grace and truth. Mm -hmm. And it's a mixture of the two. Right. Right. I think that's, uh, that's huge, you know, and, and, and again, I'm going to go back to this thing of just doing life together. You know I mean? You, uh, when, when you listen, if if you're white and you only have white friends, then your church is going to be white. You know, if you're, if you're black and you only have black friends, I'm not talking about having one, but I'm talking about doing life with a, uh, right. uh, you know, what we'll, we'll call a, um, a wide variety of ethnicities and all. what you do life, how you do life. That's what your church is going to look like, yeah. oh, um, yeah. as a pastor, you know, and as a church leader. So, um, and I, so I just think that there's something to be said about that. I agree. I, I, I think where you see, um, African-Americans and minorities leaving the church in droves, um, you see them in, uh, Democrat or, uh, in demographics where, people aren't doing life together. They're going to church together, but then they don't, you know, no one's doing life together. Um, and thank God that we are not experiencing that. But a big portion of that is because we're in small groups together. We're eating at each other's house together. We're, you know, we're out at dinner together. We're going to each other's kid. I mean, we just went to the zoo on Saturday. When I referenced this in my sermon. It was, first of all, New Orleans zoo is huge. I never want to do that again. Second of all, uh, we went to the zoo on Saturday. There was about 30 of us and it was literally, um, I think, uh, at one point I counted because I just think that that's awesome. You know, at one point I counted and, uh, I, I counted, uh, 16 black people and there was 12 white people in our group. Um, you know, and I was just like, this is awesome. Like you just don't see that in very many, uh, church groups going to do stuff like that. And so it was just, uh, it was awesome. So yeah, but there's love and going back to the point, right. Is that we, we have to love our brothers. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what they're dressed like. I don't care how much money they have in their account. Um, I, I love my brothers and who are, who are my brothers in this particular reference? It's every single person that stands in front of me, um, because, uh, there's a reason they're standing there and God's going to use me to impact their life. 
And if I can't look past what they look like, then there's no way I can impact who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, which takes us to point three, which Justin, I'll let you get to that one because you were you were anxious to get to the it. The love like, of my brother. <laughs> that was <laughs> the the keeper of my brother. Oh, okay, there it is. There the it keeper is. of my brother, and uh, I think this is kind of where we got into a little bit of the uh, <clears throat> talking a little more about justice um, because uh, we have a responsibility. Especially being currently in America, being in America and being in a, you know, we're not wealthy by any means. You know, I'm not rich, but, um, you know, I, I do live in suburban America, so it puts me in the majority. I'm white. That puts me in the majority. White people. <laughs> Don't send us emails or letters, please. <laughs> um, but because of that, I have a responsibility as someone whose voice is more is more commonly heard than other people's. I have a responsibility to now use that voice to take a stand uh, against injustice that happens to my brother. And that's ultimately what it boils down to. Like, I'm the keeper of my brother, and I have to use that voice. So are you saying that privilege exists? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm saying that privilege exists. And I, I loved what old dude said at the art conference. I don't remember his name. He was on the panel. You remember that? So he was... He was on the panel. He, he was a, it was a, a black guy, white with, wife. With his wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so they were up there. Yeah. And this is a crazy analogy. I thought it was awesome. And we might use it Sunday. We'll see. Um, he was talking about how he was trying to show his... Oh, his, yeah. his, his, uh So he was wanting to marry this white woman. And uh, he was... As he was wanting to marry her, certain family members did not approve. And so he sat down with her father, who was okay with it, but other family members weren't. So he sits down with her father and he tells her, you know, I, it tells him, I want to marry your daughter. Um, and in that the father is trying to tell the son how bias and racism doesn't exist anymore. And, uh, and how privilege doesn't exist anymore. And, uh, he says, all right, he says, I want to marry your daughter. He says, but there are people in your family who don't want that to happen. And now I have to overcome what they don't want to get what I need or what I want. And I have to overcome it strictly because of the color of my skin. In other words, any other man that, that was white would already have a head start on the approval process. But because I'm not, I have to work harder to get to the same spot that they're at. And that's what privilege is. And that's is. privilege. And yeah. I was just like, <sighs> truth bomb, you know? Right. Um, and so when, I, when he was talking about that, I was like, man, absolutely. Like, so well, well, huge, you know? Well, because the argument of, the argument I think behind that privilege doesn't exist anymore is like, I work hard. Like, there are people that, you know, I, I'm white. I get up every morning. I go to work and I, I grind and this and that. And I still have a hard time making ends meet. Where, where, where's my privilege, you know? But that analogy puts it a little more into perspective right. you know well, well yeah. i i go back because we've had discussion you know when i first heard white privilege i was one to slap somebody you know because i'm like that i yeah. grew up poor i was picking fruit when i was 13 i was roofing when i was 15 you know so to say white privilege i paid my way through college right you know when people in my room were on full grants because they were minorities and i'm the guy having to pay his way through and i'm going privilege you know but when you come, you're never going to see it as privilege <clears throat> if you only, we go back to 
who you're living life with, mm-hmm. you know, because then I just see the word as a word and it can be insulting to me. But when I understand the struggles of the other uh, nationalities and cultures that, that they've had, it really opens your world to the right hand desk mentality that yeah, yeah. Brad right. used, you know, right. that if you're left handed, there's injustice toward you because everything's made for right handed people. You know, you can't, you have to specially order a rifle, right. you know, because it's made for right-handed people right. or, you know, whatever. And so we're, I'm talking to a room of uh, people that like to shoot here. So, yeah. right, right, right. you know, it, it, it's a whole thing that everything's geared toward right-handed people. So society as we know it, because we are the majority, was built around us. And unless we live life with people that are minorities, we'll never understand the yeah. word. Yeah, and you don't even think about it. like I I never that that's a great analogy about the right-handed left-handed because as a yeah. right-handed person, it never crossed my right. mind the struggles that a left-handed person goes to right. go, goes right. through. Never crossed right. my mind. It doesn't mean I don't I don't now that I'm aware I I, I guess I care in that sense of the analogy, but sure. it's like up to that point it's like it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> right. I, right? It doesn't affect it, me. It doesn't affect me, right? So right. you know the 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 struggle of a kid in school that is trying to sit at a, a at high school at a desk that's made for a right-handed person yeah. doesn't cross my mind because I don't deal with that. And you're sitting and and again, people you're looking at it going, "What's the problem? Like this isn't a big deal." And it's like, right. "Well, of course it's not. Like you have somewhere to put your arm. Like, or, you know, right. what I mean? like it's so it's yeah, it's that whole thing. You know, I I remember you know I worked at I worked at a guitar store here in town for a long time, and you know, there's uh I think the number was like there's 500 right-handed guitars for every one left-handed guitar on the market. So left people, left-handed people would come in the store, and they're like, "Man, it's just, I really wish that w- there was more for me." Yeah, you know. Um, and when you use that analogy, it's like that totally makes sense. Can't they just flip it over? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. If they were Jimmy Hendrix, Jimmy they Hendrix, could. Yeah. yeah just no. Flip uh, it over. But all that to say, yeah. I mean, it's a you know, privilege exists. Um, and again, like, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There's nothing that is finite. So could you be a white person? experiencing the other end of privilege where you're being looked down on and things aren't being established for you. Yes. Absolutely. Cause classism and generation bias can do that. Like I t- totally can happen, you know, so don't misunderstand what we're saying. This isn't isolated to race. What we're talking about are people groups who are being unjustly looked at um, and their life experiences are being affected by the injustice. Does it happen more commonly in minority people groups um, in certain parts of the country that has been systematically designed to create injustice, it absolutely does. Um, and that in turn is starting to work its way out into the rest of our country. And it is something that has to be talked about because I am my brother's keeper. And if unjust, if injustice is happening to my brother, then I have a voice and I have to not only speak up, but also become proactive about changing that for him. Yeah. And to me, it's about leverage, right? Like, right. You know, it's it's unfair that some people are on the bad end of privilege. I happen to be on the good end uh, most of the time yeah. as, a, as a, a white middle class in America. Right. I think I have a bit of a responsibility to leverage that privilege to speak out for those that injustice, sure. uh, um, you know, happens to, to, to affect. Sure. Um, I, and I think that's part of the responsibility just as a Christian, you know. Yeah. Um, but well, and here's a deal too. Here, here, and this is something we see a lot of. You know, a lot of people do. It's like, well, it's just a sin problem. We'll just let God handle it. It's like, no, this is a people problem, 
and we need to handle it. Is it a sin problem? Yes. Um, but it is something we need to put a voice to. Here's the deal. Brad Livingston may never change anything. I may never change a governmental structure. I may never change a systematic uh, issue that affects racism. I may never change any of that. But I may change the hearts and minds of the brothers around me into believing uh, and seeing not just the love that can come from each other, but the love of Christ in me on behalf of that injustice. I may never change anything, but the love that I have in my heart towards someone and my willingness to sit down next to them and say, I don't get it, but I love you enough to ha- to let you uh, use me as a microphone and I'm going to stand next to you and we're going to do this together. Um, that is the love of Christ and that is absolutely necessary for us to get to. I wanted to bring to light the story that we talked about. We talked about the story of um, of the Holocaust, right? And, uh, and when we told the story, we talked about that in, in many parts in Germany that the railroad tracks would go past churches. And so during the Holocaust, they would take the, they took the Jews and they would put them on trains and they were sending them to concentration camps. And as they were doing that, those trains would go right past churches. And as the trains would go past churches, you could hear the cries of the Jews in the trains saying, help us, help us, help us, help us, help us, help us. Um, and the church's response at that time was to preach louder and sing louder to drown out the cries of those who were being unjustly killed. Um, and uh, I used a phrase, and I think it's just something, I think it's just huge. And any attempt to worship Jesus and preach Jesus louder in the face of injustice for the purpose of drowning out the voice of injustice is, in fact, injustice. So, in other words, passivity is not an option. Well, it, it when you're the silent majority, you're irrelevant, right? Like, to get it goes back you heard it with with say islam right you have a majority of of muslims that claim that that the the terrorists and isis doesn't speak for them yet sometimes you don't hear if there's a billion muslims when when it, when terrorist acts happen i would think i would hear more just with the police brutality right like or right. when it, surely not all cops are bad but when one does something wrong I don't hear more police officers you know, condemning that. It's like, so the silent, that's, I think that's the problem with sometimes the race thing where it, it, it appears that things are so systemic. And because if I'm a good cop and a bad cop does something wrong, I should speak out against it. The majority of the cops that are good should say, should use a louder voice. Cause if not that silent majority, they become irrelevant where everything looks, they all look bad then. And I'm not trying to just pick one topic. It's just I, I think what you're saying is sure. surely all those Christians in Germany weren't for the killing of Jews, right? But their silence allowed allowed this travesty to happen. Oftentimes, know, like, silence is deafening. Yeah, it's like you have to. You have we can't we can't remain silent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that takes us to point four um, for Sunday. Um, what do you got there, Justin? The eternity of my brother. The eternity of my brother. And so uh, we really use this opportunity to talk about, kind of bring everything full circle. Because um, ultimately, at the end of the day, if you do not see the image of God in someone, if you do not love them, if you do not take the responsibility for them, you will never evangelize them. Period. You'll never go talk to someone about Jesus if you don't see the value in, in them. 
And you'll never see the value in them unless you recognize that God created them and that he wants to rebuild that connection with them um, and that Jesus going to the cross uh, was necessary for them. And so it is huge that we make the connection that every single person we come in contact with, we need to declare the gospel. But are we going to declare the gospel for a people group that we seem or that we see as less value than ourselves? Well, you know, it it, it comes down to, to me, I think of like this love like comparison like and we even make jokes as christian like we love all people you don't necessarily like all you don't like i love i <laughs> right. love my brother over here i just don't necessarily like him and we kind of joked about this i think in your message Sunday. yeah i said that's you know but the the thing is is like people are never going to believe you love them if it's obvious you don't like them right, right you know right. so if, if you you could say you love homeless people when you think as christians and as the church you know we should feed the hungry and clothe the naked but if it's obvious you don't like them and want to associate with them they're never going to the person's never going to believe you really love them right. and i think when you add that to the to the, the the race issue into that mix it's like you can say all day long that you love all people but if it's obvious because you talk political from a pulpit and you know that type of thing where, where yeah. it's, it, it's man that's hard that's hard for people to swallow it's right. like i don't believe you love me if it's if i if it's evident you don't like me yeah and do you only value them because they further your agenda right you know what i mean like i, I think all those things are well how many are people important. are we i'm sorry I no you're, you're good gonna, go ahead. how many people are telling us one of the reasons we come here is you don't talk politics from the pulpit yeah you preach the gospel right and we don't want to go to church and hear politics but when you talk about eternity <clears throat> to me, that was the really the one of the four points that made it a message about justice over injustice over silence. That it wasn't about race; it was about group people groups. Mm-hmm. It was that one uh, point that stood out above all to to really highlight that because when Jesus told the the Jerusalem church, which was the New Testament church to start with. He told the Jerusalem church and he, to go reach the world and gave it the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all people. Start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. Make disciples. And the Jerusalem church wouldn't do it. They only cared about Jews. And if you weren't a Jew, you didn't matter. Mm-hmm. And God got frustrated with that. And so they wouldn't do it on their own. So he let persecution come against the church to force it out of Jerusalem and force it to go to other people groups. They didn't do that by choice. They did that out of persecution. They were forced out. God did it intentionally. And the Bible said, yet the disciples remained in Jerusalem. They still didn't get it. Right. Right. And so he raised up the Antioch church, which became a multicultural church, had Simeon, a black leader. It had rich, noble people. It was a very diverse leadership that thrived, and the Antioch church became the thriving church of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. The Jerusalem church withered and died. And the Bible said that the Antioch church, the multicultural church was taking up offerings and sending to the Jerusalem mm-hmm. church to keep it alive. Yeah. But then the Jerusalem church sent the disciples to Antioch to tell them what they were doing wrong. <clears throat> and so mm-hmm. if anything, it, it teaches us in the New Testament that the New Testament church is going to be reaching all people. Right. And and so if we want to remove racism, never expect, my quote is this, never expect from the world what we don't first see in the church. Yeah. And if your That's church good. is one race, don't come tell the world what's wrong with it and racism. Because right. you really don't have a message to say. Because yeah. you're, you're racist because your people group only looks like you. And so we have to come and really 
identify that. And that's hard. I know that's hard. And we'll probably yeah. get some emails on that. <laughs> but I can biblically support that. You know, that the New Testament church is a multicultural church. If your community is multicultural, your church should be. Yes. If you're in a community that's predominantly one race, then your church will be predominantly one race or one social standing or whatever it might be. But if you're in a very diverse community, your church should be, or we're not really a true representative of who the the image of Christ is. That's good. That's good. Absolutely, man. I, I, I agree 100%, Pastor. And that's a, I think that's kind of the whole thing that we look at with with this message, you know, again, going back to what we said, you know, this was this, uh, we, we have to, because racial injustice exists, we had to hit it head on, um, classism, generational bias. Um, at the end of the day, what it boils down to is people groups and there will always be a minority people group and there will always be a majority people group. That's just the way it is. And if we go to other continents, you, you'll see a lot of that flip on its head. Um, but here, uh, like I said in the message, I can't speak on behalf of our country. I can't speak on behalf of what America is going to do. I don't know what's going to look like over the next 10, 20, 30 years. What I can promise anyone is what Transformation Church is going to look like um, and what we're going to continue to raise the uh, our, the next generation of believers. And as we disciple people, we disciple them that every single person carries the image of God and that God loves them uniquely uh, as they are. He went to the cross for all of us. Um, and so as he, uh, as he did that, it is responsible for all of us to, uh, see the image of God in all people, love all people, uh, recognize that we are the keeper of all people. And we're going to use the phrase, our brothers and our sisters, uh, and in doing so caring about the eternity of our brothers and sisters, because as we care about the eternity, we can take the gospel to them. If we never value them, we'll never evangelize them, value them. Because as you value them, then you'll show them the love of Christ and you'll have the opportunity to preach uh, the truth of Christ, the hope of Christ, which is the gospel. And that's what we want to do. So, Amen to that. Amen. Hey, listen, I'm excited. Pastor, it was good having you on the podcast. Uh, man, just so awesome. Good to be here. <laughs> so thank, yeah. you, thank you for joining us. Justin, tell them where they can find you. Man, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Justin Oswald underscore. Proceed with caution. <laughs> so same, uh, Brad Livingston, at Brad Livingston underscore. Uh, you can find us on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And, uh, man, super excited. Tell them where they can find more info on the church, Justin. You can find info on the church, transformationchurch.com. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Transformation Pensacola. Um, and it would mean a lot to us if you would take this podcast if it speaks to you and share it on social media subscribe to it we drop this every week um you know rate it all those things um yeah it would mean a lot to us and and you can also send us emails or tweet me and brad um if you got questions or comments concerns we would love to hear it. you can email us at follow-up at transformationchurch.com absolutely so hey guys man we uh greatly appreciate it don't forget to hit subscribe uh on the podcast so if you're loving it uh, subscribe. It's free. doesn't cost you anything. It just makes sure that every time we drop something here on the podcast that you guys get it first. So uh, we greatly appreciate if you do that. And we love every single one of you. Again, it is up to you to bridge the gap of unity and overcoming uh, some of the hostile nonsense we're dealing with in our country in regards to diversity. So it's on you to be the difference, to make the difference. Find someone that doesn't look like you, that doesn't live in your circle. Bring them into your circle. Love them the way Jesus did, and let's go out and make some disciples, guys. That's it. See you guys. Love you.